you're listening to the be the well-being and business podcast the be podcast is your go-to source of knowledge tips and industry specific insights effortlessly learning from global business and well-being experts we aspire to equip individuals small businesses and communities with tools that help them be ahead of the curve and navigate the challenges of tomorrow. This episode features U.S. Army Lieutenant Colonel Ork McCulloch, the author of a newly released book, Your Leadership Legacy, Becoming the Leader You Were Meant to Be. It's based on 40-plus years of leadership in the U.S. Army and subsequent civilian positions. In his book, he highlights principles that will benefit today's leaders and inspire the leaders of tomorrow. In this episode, he's in conversation with Ben Ismail, a management consultant and the founder of the Bee Podcast. It's a, it's a journey. It is not a destination. You don't wake up one day and can't learn anything new and can't figure out uh, how to be a better leader. If you think that, then you need to go do something else because you're never going to be a good leader again. We can learn something every day. I don't care how long you've been doing this leadership thing. Hello, and um, it's really a pleasure to have you say with me in the on the show today. Well, thanks, Ben. I appreciate you having me on the show. Uh, that that's great. Um, so, uh, congratulations for the book. Uh, I've, I haven't. I promised to read it, but I didn't manage to read it. So I went through it um, quite a bit. Um, very good book, and well written, and I like. You know, sometimes you read a book, there's a lot of theory in it that's just not related to, um, to the reality. So it's like you cannot really apply them. But what you kind of told the, your own story, and this is kind of where I start, I w- I'd like to start the session with you asking, what's the story behind writing the book? Because I was wondering when I'm reading through it, and I'm, I'm curious to know. Yeah, well, I tell everybody, there, look, there are no, there's no theory in my book. It is all what everyday, it's everyday things that everyday leaders can do to make themselves a better leader. And, and I, and that's why I, and that's how I wrote it. And I've actually had people said that they've used it like as a workbook, they, they highlight it, they tab it. And so, and, and they keep it on their desk at work. So people ask me all the time, two questions that who did I write the book for and, and why did I write the book? So the why I wrote the book because when I was a professor of military science, so I was running an army ROTC program at the university of South Alabama producing future officers in the United States Army. I was going around talking to high school students and some college students, a few businesses, but mainly college and high school students. And I'd always ask them, I'd say, so what do you want to do? What do you want to be when you grow up? And because uh, I said, you know, grow up means that you actually have a job. You know, yeah. There you go. Um, and they, I don't, they, you know, they tell me what profession they wanted to be in. And, you know, almost inevitably they would say, well, I want to be a leader. I want to lead something. And I said, okay, great. The world needs more leaders. I said, so what does that mean? What does that look like? What does it take to be a leader? And I would get this deer in the headlights look, you know, they, they knew they wanted to be a leader, but they had no idea how to get there. They knew right. they had no idea what it actually took to be a leader and the things they had to do. So. I, so that's really, I, I, I went around and I was giving a presentation and that started in 2006. And so I gave this presentation on what it takes to be a good leader. And so 
So then I, I took that presentation and I basically turned it into this book and added some things because obviously I can add a few more things than I, that I can't talk about in only a 45-minute presentation. I could add some things. So that's why I wrote the, wrote the book was to get that out there. Um, so who did I write it for? I wrote it for I, – I tell people I wrote it for two different people. I wrote it for young, aspiring leaders, so high school, college, right out of college, first time leader in a junior, you know, junior leader in a company so that they could understand what it took to be a leader. But I also wrote it for old people like me. And, and I tell people that and they kind of laugh at, but I've actually had people, uh, you know, who've been a leader for 20, 30, 40 years who said, Oh, you know, I read the book and I didn't learn a whole lot of new stuff in it. I learned a couple of new techniques maybe here and there. This is about what really I took out of the book was I'd be reading along and I'd see something and I'd say to myself, you know, I used to do that really well and I don't do that so well anymore. Maybe I need to dedicate some time and effort to get back to doing that well. And, and, and that, that's absolutely true, you know, because I always tell people, look, leadership is a it's a it's a journey. It is not a destination. You don't wake up one day and can't learn anything new and can't figure out uh, how to be a better leader. If you think that, then you need to go do something else because you're never going to be a good leader again. We're, we can learn something every day. I don't care how long you've been doing this leadership thing. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, um, if you've been, I, I at, at least for me, it was the case, is that if you are in a, position, a leader position, actually, already, you will have a lot of deja vus while reading your books. So it's like, I've got a lot of moments like, aha, it's like I have a similar situation that I went through. If I, right. if I only read your book, kind of, and it's like, oh, I haven't not, I never thought about it like this. And so, and, and this is one. And the other piece is the language is so easy. It's just, it's so fun to read. It's not so much heavy in technical terms that means nothing and sometimes make things nonsense more than anything else. So it's, right. yeah, it's well, perfect. You know, one of the things I always tell people, Ben, and I'm glad you brought that up because it is absolutely true. You know, I, I did 23 years in the Army. So that a lot of my experiences, a lot of my stories about the Army. And people say to me all the time, we, I'm not in the Army. I don't want to be in the Army. So your book probably isn't right for me. And I said, look, my book is about leadership. And leadership is leadership. I don't care where you learned it. I don't care where you practiced it. If you can lead, you can lead any organization. Doesn't matter. And I, and you know, I'm a perfect example of that. I did 23 years in the army, combat arms officer. Got paid to fight and win our nation's wars. When I retired, I ran a food bank for 18 months. I run the day-to-day -day operation of a food bank. You don't get any different than that. That is a 180 degree difference. And when I took over that food bank, we were handing out 1.2 million pounds of food a year. When I gave it up wow. 18 months later, we were handing out 3.8 million pounds. So leadership is leadership. I, I firmly believe that. And I've, and I've proven it. Absolutely. And this is what leads me to the, the second theme in our agenda today is, you know, talking about leadership style. And I think some of these people who wondered whether what you have in the military could be useful and usable in a civilian, which is absolutely it is. I agree with you. Um, so I am under the impression, never being in the army, that you know the army is more an ERK structure is when you have a top-down right. way of leading. So 
reflecting on that, and you've been in both sides, which is very, very interesting. How, what should we learn for the military, basically? Yes, well, I, there, there certainly are authoritarian uh, micromanaging leaders in the army, and they are awful to work for, god awful to work for. Um, and I've had some in the past. But then you also have some that believe like I do in servant leadership, selfless service. Um, and I had a boss one time, and he, and he retired a four-star general. And he said, Oak, leadership is on a scale. He said, on one end of the scale over here, you got authoritarian, micromanaging, not fun to work for people that, that just you do what you got to do when you work for them because you have to, but you don't do anything extra. And he said, then on this end over here, you have Attila the Hun and you have chaos. He said, you want to be as close to chaos as you can get as a leader. Oh. That's where you get creativity. That's where people you can use their own ingenuity. And he said, and the way you get there is very simple. He said, first, you train them. Second of all, then you, you give them a mission. And then you give them the resources they need to do that mission, you know, money, time, people, whatever they need to do. And then you give them the authority to do it. You give away all the authority you can give away. He said, you want to give away as much as you feel comfortable with because you can give away all the authority you want. You can never give away responsibility. You are always responsible for everything right. that or does not happen in your organization. Your name's always on the blame line, but you can hand away as much authority as you want. And you should try to hand away as much as you, as you feel comfortable with. He said, if you do that, then those people will amaze you at what they do. And, and so I, I picked that up and I was a, a senior captain or senior Lieutenant. Um, when he told me that. And so I, I believe that that's kind of been my philosophy all along is, and, and you got to be willing to accept that they're going to make some mistakes sometimes. Okay. Got it. Um, they, they're going to make mistakes if you do that, but the benefit of the ingenuity and the creativity that you're going to get from them way outweighs um, any, any small mistakes they make. I wonder if you are at the other end of that. So if, if a person being fortunate enough to have a leader with that, that kind of personality and, you know, and, and, and leadership style, how they would have handled, and why I'm asking this question, because I love that experience myself, how we would have handled, you know, rebellion, if it's not maybe rebellion, but like in objections. So sometimes you have a priority that comes to you as a leader Absolutely. and yeah, and you get to execute that. So, Assume that one of the ranks start, you know, falling apart and then what's the best way to handle it in that perspective? Yeah. So, so I tell people, look, I, I when I'm a, a leader and I'm in a leadership position, then I encourage people. I want the people who are working for me to give me opinions, to give me their advice, to give me mm. their point of view. And I tell them, I tell everyone from the day that I take over the organization, I said, look, you always have the right to come in my office and say, Hey, hey, boss, th this is my view on this. Until, until we make a decision. Once we make a decision, there's no more debate. Mm. And, and I'll, I'll take some of your advice and hope, you know, and if I think it's good, I'll use it in, in helping to decide what we're going to do. But once we make a decision, it's done. There's no more debate. There's no more uh, arguments. We're going to do what we got to do. And I think if you do that, if you approach it that way, that helps a little bit. 
But then, you know, you're always going to find every once in a while, you're going to have that person who's just a troublemaker, who just isn't going to fall in line. My my philosophy is, is that you counsel that person in, in person, you look them in the face, you know, have the guts to do that. Look them in the face and say, hey, you're not meeting the standards. Here's why. And here's how we're going to fix it. And then if they don't fix it, then they need to go find something else to do. And I have no problems at that point helping them to go find something else to do. It's funny, you know, uh, I've got the situations. <laughs> that was hilarious. So I was literally in a meeting and, and that person proctored the meeting room threatening with, I have like a meeting with other, a few other leaders and then I, we have clients on the line and that person proctored the room and just literally threatening me is like oh what the email means and blah 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 and so on and right and i'm gonna talk to this and this and that <laughs> there's a moment of wisdom i, I I'm, I'm i'm a bit tempered person so i admit that and for, for whatever reasons i was calm that day and you say can you please just close the door behind you and i'm i'm more than happy that you go to those people and talk to them and uh, the two colleagues are next to me and he was kind of absolutely shocked I mean, with the scene itself, I was just fast enough to mute the call for the client. So they didn't right. hear all the whole stories. Right. And then I haven't done basically basic what you say. It is just, I should have looked at that person in the eye to me past a threshold where that's not workable anymore. Absolutely. I would agree. I would agree at that point. That's, that's beyond, uh, beyond repair. That's what I thought. And then I said, I just immediately talked to a member to the HR department and said, I'm not saying go and fire the person, but certainly there is no place for that person in my team. It's just yeah. not working. That's past well, the you know, and, yeah. and that's that's I, that's the other piece of this that I tell people is so important as a leader. So I think there's certain things leaders are very, very that are very, very important for leaders to do. One is to build their culture in the organization. Um and, and that is the leader's job and, and cannot be delegated. They have to decide what the culture of that organization is going to be and they have to build it. Then they have to have a vision and a plan of where they want that organization to be six months from now, a year from now, 10 years from now, whatever, however far, far out you want to go. And the other part of it to help both of those is you got to build the team. If you're hmm. lucky enough to have that opportunity, sometimes I got it. Sometimes you take over an organization, the team's already built. So that if that's the case, then two things, you got to train them. You got to make sure they're trained the way that you want them to be trained to do the things you're going to ask them to do with this new vision and plan that you're going to come up with. Because if you don't train them to do that, then how are you going to be mad at them when they don't accomplish what, what you're asking them to do? It's your it's your job to make sure they, they're trained, that they can do the things you're going to ask them to do. And then number two is that as people leave, and they will, you know, it's just out of even if it's not for a bad reason, people just retire, they go find another job, they get moved, whatever. As people leave, then it's your job to start building that team the way you want it with the people you want. And, you know, I, I, I actually, I, I, I talked about this with somebody, I don't know, probably about three, four months ago. And it was a young man, just took, just started a business and he was probably 30 years old, 35 years old. And I was telling him how, I was kind of walking through how you build a culture and how you build the teams. And I was saying, you know, building a culture takes time. It takes money. It takes uh, training. It takes resources. It's very time intensive. And he said, no, Colonel McCullough, you're wrong. 
And I said, what, what do you mean I'm wrong? He said, mm -hmm. all I got to do is hire the right people. I said, good luck with that, young man. We'll see how that works for you. <laughs> okay, that's a really interesting one. Um, but before I jump to that one, actually, um, one bit that I, I want to ask you your thoughts around just came to my mind. We all, in every coaching session I've got with with many people in my in my career, they were telling me to lead. You know how to be led. What's your take on that? Oh, absolutely. I think leaders have to be uh, because I don't care who you are. You know, we were just talking about presidents of the United States. If you're the president of the United States, you still have a boss. They're called the people. <laughs> At least that's the way we like to think. Um, <laughs> everybody has a boss. You know, I don't care how high up you get, you've got a boss. So you've got to be able to lead. And I always tell people, for me, it was always, you know, I, I want to lead when every chance I get. I want to be the leader. I know when I walk home tonight and I walk in the door, I'm not the leader anymore because I got a boss too, and it ain't me. <laughs> reason I've been married for 35 years. <laughs> that's um, why it works. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I'm happily married for 35 years because I understand Great, my yeah. role. Um, but we all have bosses. So so I think, and even like when we're training lieutenants to our ROTC program, which I do the recruiting for here, and I'm lucky enough to, to, to be involved in the training here, part of that training is teaching you how to be a follower and and le learning those things because we're all going to have to follow at some point uh, i don't care how mm. high up you get you, you got to follow somebody even the ceo of a board has a board of directors that they got to kind of answer to so i don't care how high up you get you always got a boss absolutely yeah that makes sense that makes sense now 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 to your um to your statement um about you know hiring the right people Good luck with that. I like it the way you put it. Good luck with that. But you know, is there any secret sauce? It's like what they could what could you max on in, in terms of hiring your people? And I I get what you're saying. It's like how much visions and that person and that set interviews, etc. You would see through. It's like kind of really minimal. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, you know, there, there's you always that cap that possibility that you're not going to see something, a flaw or whatever that's, that somebody has in the short amount of time that you're doing the interview. But I think, you know, that's why I firmly believe that you have more than one interview with people. You don't just interview 10 people one time and pick the best person. You have 10 people, you pick five. Then you do another interview session, you pick the top three. Then you do another interview session and then you pick the one that there, I think you get, you're going to, if you do that, I think you got a shot of finding some of those little things. But the thing I always tell people when, you, when you're the boss and you get to build your own team, you build the team based on attitude. I can teach you all the skills I want. Mm. That's easy compared. I can't teach you attitude. That's why, that's how I build a team is I look for the people who have the right attitude. And to me, that's selfless service, that it's not about them. It's about the people that they're going to be in charge of that's going to work for them and it's about the organization if you can get that i can teach you everything else that you need to know um to, to do your job that's easy um but i can't teach you attitude that's that's, that's something that you got to bring with you what's about the chemistry so i'm i'm asking this question because i'm kind of i trust my guts basically i have intuition somehow I believe in that. I believe that's a huge part of it. It's like, to me, it's like if you talk to a person, it either clicks the first 10 minutes or doesn't work at all. And no matter, I challenge that, that perceptions or that feeling. Yeah. And, and many times I thought to myself, no, maybe I need to give people a chance. 
but hell, it's like every time proven wrong. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and every once in a while you'll make a mistake. I got it. Um, uh, but you know, I, I, in my job as recruiting for army ROTC, I have to make quick decisions on what I think a person, if, is this a person right for this or, um, and I always use this example cause we all, we, we make mistakes. Um, when I was running my army ROTC program back in a hundred years ago at the university, of <laughs> Come on. Um, I had a young man who walked into my office and he said, uh, Colonel McCullough, I want to be an army ROTC. And I said, okay, I, I basically let anybody do the freshman year. And he walks in there and I'm watching him and I'm thinking to myself, this, this young man's never going to make it. He's never going to make it. Well, I can tell you four years later, when he was a senior, he was my battalion commander. He was the highest ranking cadet in my program. A light bulb went off. He got it. He started click. It started clicking. He started doing all the things right. So we all do make mistakes every once in a while. But I will tell you that I do believe in gut feelings. And I'm pretty, most people who believe in gut feelings usually get it right. Uh, there's just something that that nags at you that you just yes. don't understand. You and they cannot explain it. I cannot, I cannot explain it. I cannot even quantify it. Like if, if, if whomever asked me is like, why I made that decision? I can't explain it. It just, it's just a feeling and it works like 99.99%. It's just amazing how it is. But I agree. I agree. 100%. Those, those of us who, who kind of, and I don't know if that's, I don't know if everybody has that. At least I, I, I my guess is they don't. Um, but some people that's, and I think here, here's, my guess, and it, just a guess, I'm not a psychiatrist, you know, and I'm, you know, kind of like the Supreme Court person said, I'm not a biologist. I'm not a psychiatrist, so, <laughs> so, I, so I, I don't take credit for this as this is just a guess of mine. My guess is that people, people who are people, people, you know, if people are the most important thing to you and, and you, you're a servant leader and you take care of people and you get to know people, that's who has that gut feeling because you, you, you start trying to, you start figuring out people much easier than people who it's about flow charts. It's about organizations. It's not about people. I think they have a hard time with a gut feeling. And you know, that works both ways. So when I said, I trust my gut feeling. So that's was when I hired and when being hired. So it works the other way around. Also, if I talk to, I'm going myself to an interview, Oh, absolutely. I don't want that job. Yeah, I just I don't want that job. Literally, there's that. And then other instances, I find... Generally, and usually it's not, I don't want that job. I don't want to work for that person. Absolutely, That's... yes. It's like, I know that I would not, um, I would not make it. I would, it would not work. And, uh, you know, I've, I have many, many examples in my careers where I took the job because the finances part of it was quite tempting. Yeah, it didn't yeah. last long. It didn't, like, that steam run off after six months. I just have to find someone, something else. Yeah. You know, and I always tell people this, you know, because because I get that all the time. Is you know, I'll, I'll ask somebody why why they want to major in something in in college, and they'll say because I want to make lots of money at it. And I said, listen to me, young man. <laughs> I don't care how much money you make if you don't like it, you're not going to continue to do it. And it's the same 100%. thing. I don't care what job you take and how much money you make if you don't like it. If you have a choice, you are not going to continue to do it because money is not the most important thing in the world. It is important, as my wife reminds me all the time. But it is not the most important thing. I agree, hundred percent. Yes, I agree. Um, so now we become a leader, and t nowadays, especially in in the work in, in the workplaces, 
you would be faced with, and I'm sure that army is exactly the same things. When you have a generations gap, you would, you would be led by people potentially younger than you are, or you have to lead people way younger than you are. Whereas, or way older than you are. Exactly. Older than you are. So the, yeah. So th this is kind of generation gaps and leaderships. Like what's, the, what, what's the best way to do it? What's, what's kind of, you know, start in that. So, so I'll give you an example. I, when I was a brand new Lieutenant, I was 24 years old. Um, and when I showed up to my unit, uh, there were three lieutenants that showed up that day. There was only one lieutenant. There was only one platoon leader slot. The other two were going to have to go be a staff officer, uh, at, at battalion. So I was lucky enough. I got picked to be the platoon leader. So my company commander come pick me up and my platoon that I was taking over was running a live fire dismounted exercise. And they were going through all morning. They'd gone through the training to do, do it, to make sure they could do it safely. So my company commander drops me off there at, at lunchtime, my platoon sergeant, and I started first class Pinson. He was six foot six, 250 pound Mississippi boy. He says, <laughs> Oh boy. <laughs> he says, come on over here, sir. He said, let's have a MRE and let's have some lunch. And so we're sitting underneath a tree and he said, listen to me. He said, you are the boss. He said, if you want to do something a certain way, we're going to do it that way. He said, you're the lieutenant, you're in charge. He said, but I'm going to tell you right now that if you're going to do something stupid, I'm going to tell you. He said, I've been in the Army for 23 years. He had been in the Army wow. almost as long as I'd been alive, and he's working for me. And he said, if you're doing something dumb, he said, I'll, I'll let you know. He said, I've been in the Army 23 years. I've seen things done every which way they can be done. If you still want to do it, We'll do it. He said, you're the boss, but I'm going to make sure you understand what, what it is you're doing. And I'll tell you, I give Sergeant First Class Penson a lot of credit for helping make me the leader that I turned out to be. Um, and you know what? If he ever said to me, are you sure you want to do that, sir? I always stopped and thought because <laughs> he had a lot of experience. But but I run into that as well here. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be 60 years old in January. And I'm recruiting 17, 18 year old kids, young men and women to come in here and do this. So the, you know, certainly there is that generation gap and there are certainly some problems that, that it causes the way I think, first of all, again, go back to being a servant leader, as long as you treat people with dignity and respect and they, they believe that you are, and you are doing it and they, they see that you have their best interest. At, in, in, at, at heart, then I think that does a lot to overcome that issue. And, you know, my buddies who do recruiting for Army ROTC don't believe that I tell people this, but I do. Every, everybody who comes in here and sits at that table with their parents sitting there, I always tell them, last thing I tell them is, look, this is about you. It's not about me. I said, I made my choices a long time ago. This is about you. You got to figure out what it is you want. And then you got to do the research to figure out which programs and which schools and what all that give you what you want. And that's what you need to do. I said, but the great thing about that is that you're the only one that can make that decision. Not your mom and dad, not your guidance counselor, not your football coach, not your girlfriend. You're the only one that can make that decision. And I, again, I put it, I make them understand that this is about them. It's not about me. Um, and if you do that, then I, th that kind of brings it back down to earth where it doesn't matter how much older you are than somebody, they know that you got some respect for them and they're willing to give you some respect back. You know, 
I want to dwell on one point because there's a challenge, and you're right, you say that in, in the beginning, that the world needs more leader today than ever. And I think because we are short in supplies, for one. And I think it's because the our societies today is way more comfortable than the ones that our parents probably grew up, including myself. So like I, I, it wasn't fun really to grow up in my time. Not as much fun if it compared to my son today, right? All right. the technology and anything's in the tip of the fingers. It's just fun and easy. Yeah. Is 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 it that the reason? We, you know, and it, it, but it, but you know, and people say, well, that's your generate. Every generation is to, to try to make it easier for the next generation, and I think that's to some point. I agree, but but we also got to let them make mistakes. We got to make them grow and learn and do the things that, that we got to do growing up. Exactly. So why I'm asking this question? So I remember. Here's my personal story. I remember I I'm I'm, I'm the elder of my brothers, and we are four and one sister, so big family. Exactly the same with me. So, so I was, I wanted to do a business so bad and I wanted to make a deal. So very quick is somebody brought some, some sort of container from, from the sea and they, you know, surprise container. I don't know how to say it. It's like you buy it, but you never know what's inside it. So they just have a yeah tag value on it. You have to pay it and whether you make it or you break it. So, and you haven't got some money for it. So I went in to one of my family relatives and say, well, I need that much of money. And then I took the money. So he gave them to me, I remember, in duff bags. So I went to the home, I gave it to my mother. So I was afraid that I'd lose the money. I was so young, 16 years old. And, and then my mother didn't keep the secret, told my father. So my father kicked me out of the house. And so he was like, now you give back the money. So I'm not giving it back. I'm going to the deal. It's like, and if, and if you don't pay it back, he said, well, I go to prison. It's okay, right? I took it yeah. and made the deal and it worked for me for some reasons. It worked for me. I bought my car. So I bought my own car by my own money. I parked it in the house. And then he came in. He was so angry. And he said, who's, who's that piece of shit parking in front of the home? And my, my, my mom just smiled and looked at me. It was like, and did I kick you out of the house? What are you doing here? And he's like, no, I was just uh, trying my new car. <laughs> and and I, I, so he didn't. He had so much, I'm not sure it's an ego, but like so firm, he was so firm. He didn't say, oh, congratulations, son, or anything. He just left the room. But my mom told me later on, he said, this kid either going to make it or go to jail. This is like the two ways of the extreme spectrum. And what I'm trying to say, and probably you live the same experience. Oh, absolutely. It's just, I learned from that and it, it created a habit for me that, you know, with risk, there's a reward and there's, you know, measured risk and all of these things. I could have not learned it if I just counted in school or my father's been babysitting me, what I do and how you do it being concerned. I think this is it. It's like, this is the difference. Let the kids make their own way, do their own mistakes, assume that responsibility because that's accountability. That's responsibility how they grow. And the only way to become a leader is just mastering those two pieces. Absolutely. You know, my, my, I always tell people, you know, as I go around and talk to young men and women, especially high school students. And I even go down to as low as sixth, seventh, eighth graders. So middle school students, I talk about secrets of success. I don't talk about leadership to them, basically, although there's some leadership in there. But what I always tell them is, look, same thing my father told me. He said, look, son, every decision, life is about decisions and consequences. Every decision you make has a consequence. 
consequence. I don't care what it is. It'll either have a good consequence or a bad consequence, but every decision you make has a consequences consequence. And you got to get to the point in your life where you're making decisions that are giving you good consequences more than bad consequences. He said, and until you get to that point, life is pretty rough on you. <laughs> he said, Once yeah. you get to that point where you're making good deci- decisions that give you good consequences, then life gets a little bit easier. But the only way you learn how to do that is to make the decisions. And you got to think through all those things yourself. If somebody is th- telling you what to do all the time, then you're not building that skill. And it is a skill. It's a skill just like any other skill. Decision-making is a skill. And the only way you're going to get good at it is to actually do it. And again, parents got to understand that letting young men and women do that, and leaders got to understand that letting your people make decisions, you're go- they're going to make mistakes, and that's okay. I always tell people this. A, a good leader doesn't let their people fail. You can let them make mistakes, but you step in before it gets to the failure part. And and my father used to use this rule, and I still kind of use this rule today. He said, every time you're going to make a decision, when I was a kid, he would say, think about this. Would you want your mom to know what you're about to do? If the answer is yes, then it's probably a pretty good decision. You can go ahead and do that. If the answer is no, maybe you need to think about that one. And of mm. course, I don't use anymore. I use my wife. I would I want my wife to know that I'm doing this? And if the answer is yes, then it's a pretty good decision. If it's no, then maybe I need to think about whether or not that's really something I want to do. That's quite interesting. I think I never thought about it this way, but yeah, quite useful actually to give it the perspective for what, whether that decision is a good or yeah, bad I mean, one. Uh, you know, and it's, it's something you can quickly come up with. Now you may, you know, it's some things that you may want to dig deeper in, but at least that's, that's the initial one. If you say no, then you don't have to dig into it any deeper. If you say yes, now maybe I got to look into it a little bit deeper. Is it not only something I would want my wife to know, but is it a benefit to me and her and to the family and to the organization, to the business, whatever? So you might have to dig a little bit deeper, but at least that thought process at least gets you yes or no. And if it's no, then you don't have to worry about it anymore. Go on and do something else. Absolutely. Digging a bit deeper on, you know, building that fussing the, the the culture of trust leaders and, and led people so what's the best way to do it strengthening trust culture within communities businesses yeah i think there's two ways i say number one you got to lead by example um you know when you build that culture when you set those standards if you're not setting living up to those standards then you've lost all trust with the people that are working for you because if you're not living up to that standard they're not going to you know, they'll look at you and say, hey, the boss doesn't do that, so why should I? And I always use this example, and it's really simple, but I see it happen all the time. If you're the leader and you're walking down the hall and there's a piece of garbage, a piece of trash on the floor, and you walk by it, you don't bend down, pick it up, and put it in the garbage, what, what have you just done? You just set a new standard. It's okay. I don't have to pick up the garbage. The boss didn't pick it up, so I don't have to pick it up either. It's mm. that sounds really simple, but those are the simple things that really start to build trust is if they see that you set a standard and you're living to it, then they and you're holding them to the standard. Now you're starting to build some trust. The other thing that I always tell people builds trust is communication and making it a two way street. Listen to the people who work for you um, and not only listen, but li- actually listen. 
listen to what they have to say. And I always tell young leaders what advice I give young leaders one of because I actually had somebody um, at the Doan University where I was last week. Mm-hmm. A young leader asked me, he said, if you could give one advice to a young leader, what would it be? And the advice I told him was every day as a leader, go find somebody in your organization and learn something new about them. Not business related, nothing to do with work. Go find something personal about that person, their wife's name, their kids' names. What sports do their kids play in? What hobbies does he and his wife have? Something personal about that person. So now you're starting to build that relationship. You still have the boss employee relationship. You can't cross that line. I got it. But at least now they start to think, well, the boss actually kind of cares. And I actually had a boss. The reason I I do that, and the reason I say that is I had a boss who did that for me and kind of opened my eyes to how important that is. You know, I'd walk into the office and usually two, two days a week when we were in the office, I'd walk by him and he'd stop. He'd say, how you doing, Oak? And I, first time I said, fine. And I just kept walking by and he goes, no, 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 no. come here. How are you doing? I want to actually hear how you're doing. And he did. He actually stopped, stood there, asked me questions. When he got done talking about me, you know, he might ask, so how's, how's Kel doing? How's your wife doing? And I tell him and he'd say, didn't your son and daughter have a soccer game this weekend? How'd they do? Wow. He was a busy man. Very busy man. I was a captain. He was a lieutenant colonel. He was a very busy man. The times he did that, I never saw him do this. Never saw him look at his watch like he had somewhere better to be. When I was talking to him, I was the most important person in his life at that point. And he made me feel that way. And I learned from that. And I said, you know, that is what I want to be. Um, and so I, I, I do that a lot. That's, that's, I've taken that on as a leadership thing is listen to people, talk to people, make them feel important. Don't just make them feel important, actually make them important and they will trust you and they will do anything that you ask them to do. Absolutely amazing. Yes. That, yeah. And I think, I think, and this is what leads me to the second follow-up questions, and you mentioned it, but when we were in office, how to maintain that good habit while we are most heading, I would say even unfortunately to almost remote yeah. working environment. That's really tough. So here, so here's the advice I give people, and this is the second piece of advice I give people, um, young leaders. Lead by walking around. Don't lead by from behind a desk. Horrible. Nobody trusts you if you're sitting behind a desk. Go out there and ask people questions. Ask people why they're doing what they're doing, why they do things the way they do them. Is there a better way we can do them? Is there something I can do to help you make it better? Go around, talk to people. And I had a, a boss who retired a three-star general. Great guy to work for. I, I, I would work for him anytime, anything he wanted me to do. Uh, again, I, I, he was that type of a boss. And he, and he told me, when he made general officer, when he made a one-star general, he told me that he'd gotten a piece of advice from a three-star general. And the three-star general told him, never turn down a chance to go get your own cuff, cup of coffee. He said, look, there's people who will bring you a cup of coffee if that's what you want. He said, but get up from behind your desk, walk out and get your own coffee. He said, a couple of things happen when you do that. People realize that you're not as 
stuck on yourself as some general officers are, as, as some bosses are. You can actually get up and get your own cup of coffee. And number two, you get out of your office, you get out from behind your desk and you start talking to people. You get to see people where they're working. They get to see you where they are working. That is huge that somebody says, you know what? The boss came down to wh where I work and asked me questions about my job. Y you want to start building some trust? That is huge. I agree. But how to do it remotely? This, this is, yeah, this, yeah, this is really a problem. I can see that. This it is, is the best so, way to do it. I, I've had people ask me that question too. How does uh, this COVID uh, thing uh, affected all that? And I, I say two things. I said, number one, you're going to have to have a few more meetings. And I, I'm not a fan of meetings, but it, but if you got everybody working from home, you're going to have to have at least one a week, probably. Mm -hmm. um, so just so that they realize back in their mind, they're sitting at home, but they're still part of a team. It isn't just them sitting there. They are still part of a team, a part of an organization that depends on them. So that's number one. Number two is when you have that meeting, they must have their camera on so people can see each other because that makes people realize that they are part of that team and that it's important that they're a part of that team. And you can look people in the eye again and tell people stuff and understand whether or not they understand it. That's, that's one of the things I always tell people is that if I send you a text message or an email, I may tell you what I want, but I don't know if you actually understood what I want. Absolutely. Yes, true. If, if I'm looking you in the eye and I tell you what I want, I get a pretty good idea whether or not you're understanding what I'm talking about. That's true. Actually, that's true. But you know, um, at least where I am, we took that as, as a business to a, a different levels where we try to create an opportunities that we could meet face to face. And then also put the, some of the team members who is not really comfortable all the time to be in on camera is that's okay. If you have, you know, um, I, I literally did it on purpose. They were, many times they were couple is like a bit dragged from the bed just to say it's okay. Yeah. You know, yeah. we all in it the same way. doesn't matter. Absolutely. But, but I think that, you know, you still gotta, you gotta figure out a way. Those are ways that I, I figured out um, to do it. And, and I agree with you, even with all that, maybe every month or every two months or every quarter, you still got to bring them in face to face, whoever can afford to do that and, and, and you can make it happen. And that's great. Um, because again, it, it's, you got to make people understand that they're still part of an organization and we need them and we trust them and, and they're a valued part of that organization. They're not just somebody sitting at home that people have forgotten about. Absolutely. Um, what the, the, the piece that um, I'm all the time hearing people complaining, challenging, um, uh, ch having challenges with it is how could we reward people? And, 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 and that's actually starts by how could we recognize people who is really good objectively and then yeah. reward them the best way possible? Yeah. Yeah, and reward is huge. And you can't use reward uh, to motivate people. That's not what motivates people. Sense but they do. That's the problem. This 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 is kind of the plague. And and the I know. That's horrible to reward people, to use rewards to motivate people. That's not how you motivate people. That's how we train dogs. Um, 
we we do rewards to to um to show our appreciation for a job well done just as you do uh punishment however that goes either taking money or taking somebody's job or making them do other things for a job not well done and so here here's what i here's how i tell people if you really want to to um reward the right people for the job done and promote the right people and that first of all again i I believe attitude is huge so they got to have the right attitude and you'll pick that up immediately and Mm. you know i always tell people that work for me you do not have the right to tell somebody no that word is not allowed to come out of your mouth if you think you got to tell somebody no then you come talk to me and then we'll sit down we'll figure out if there is a way to do what we got to do there may it may be no in the end i may have to tell them no or i may tell you to go tell them no but you don't have a right to tell them that immediately we have to make a decision on that and so attitude is huge and and so you got, i still believe in that but here's the other thing that i believe in you, you got to build that culture and you got to have standards and you must maintain standards if you want things to fall apart then start picking and choosing who gets who has to meet the standard and who doesn't if everybody is held to the same standard and everybody knows they're held to the same standard and you've made it clear by punishing people who don't meet the standard and you've rewarded people who do meet the standard then that standard's going to be maintained. So have standards and maintain them. And then the last piece is the counseling piece. You got to have that where face to face, you're counseling people. And that, I got it. If you're a boss of a hundred people, you can't counsel a hundred people every, every quarter, but you can counsel your next level of leaders. Let's say that's five. And then they counsel their next level of leaders. Let's say there's 10 of them. And then they counsel their leaders. So you're counseling the way it goes. And, and you know, yeah. large organizations are set up this way so that one person can run a 500,000 person organization because it's built on levels like that. So if you do that, if you do once a quarter, you sit down and you do face to face, look them in the eye. Here are the standards. You're meeting them. Well, by the way, you're meeting them, but we still could do better at this, maybe, because I don't care how good you are. You can always get better. Um, And if they're not meeting the standards, you're looking them right in the eye and say, "Okay, you're not meeting the standards. And here's the difference between a boss and a leader. A boss says you're not meeting the standards. Either you're fired or, or get out of my office. A leader says you're not meeting the standards. And here's how we're going to fix that. Here are the things we're going to do over the next quarter, the next half a year, the next year to make sure that you're, we're, we're going to retrain you. We're going to teach you the things that you need to know yes. so that you can step up and meet the standards. And then again, at the end of that year or however long you got that training session, if they're still not meeting the standards, if they didn't make the determination that they needed to step up and meet the standards, then I got no problem telling them they got to go work somewhere else. That makes sense. You know, the other challenges that I have seen in corporate world is that when those standards are not maintained, the leaders not stepping up in, in their accountability and saying that, that we have a poor standard and this is like something we got to fix, but they will turn to the alternative of promoting based on how long you've been in the business. Yeah, this well, is the worst. This is awful. Horrible. 
Yes, Horrible. it's like it's like if you if you if if you would have did that an army, probably that the, the guy who works for you would probably be your boss, right? This is kind of the natural domino effect of it. Yeah. But that's just crazy how it is. It's just I've I've seen leaders who an organization who sleep the entire year and then of course they have an, a message coming from HR. Okay, that's now the reward time, guys. Who who you've got in your list? And they haven't thought about it the entire year, and then they have to figure it out. And what they resort to, who's been older with again, us? Again, if you do the counseling, then you're thinking about it. You're thinking about, okay, who who are the ones who are really meeting the standard here? Who's the ones who are going above and beyond? And part of that counseling, I I try, I always do it. Is before you're going to come in and talk to me, I I tell me how you're doing. What are you doing? Right. Now? What aren't you doing so well? And then I take that and I take my view of it. And some of those things they tell me they're not doing so well. I think you're not doing that poorly. Maybe you're not doing it as well as you would like to, but you're, you're doing okay. You're meeting the standard. Um, so if you, if you do that counseling every quarter, then you're, that's going through your mind who your top performers are and who, who aren't. And, you know, I, I, every once in a while you get this person and this just kills me. I'll get somebody who says, well, Colonel McCullough, I don't judge myself against other people. I just judge myself against myself. And I think that's great. You should. I said, but let me tell you, it, you are pretty naive if you think I'm not judging you against other people. <laughs> who are doing that's how I pick who's going to get the promotion. That's sure. how I'm going to get the salary raise. And if you think that's not how it's done, <laughs> good luck. <laughs> yeah, I, I think there's an illusion for that. And I think even, um, I haven't heard it myself, but I have friends who ha heard that. Oh, I'm not comparing you to anyone. I'm comparing you to standard, but that's yeah. not true. It's not how a human operates. It's not how business works. It's not how you're right. It's not how he, the human race works. We all compare ourselves against other people, and, and we have to. That, otherwise, how do we figure out who the best of anything is? And and results do matter. <laughs> In fantasy land, we all get trophies and we're all winners. That's not the real world. In the real world, results matter. And my father drilled this into me as a kid. He, growing up, he had this thing called the 75% rule. And he said, son, if you can't do something better than 75% of the people doing it, then you need to go do one of two things. You either need to figure out how to get better at it, or you need to go do something else. Because obviously it isn't important to you. And and so he drove it into my mind how important it is to get get results to be successful and and i think we got to get back to doing that because i think we've lost some of that i agree conscious time one last question is if you would have leave me and the audience with three most important skills that any leader has to have what these are yeah no, number one is communication Absolutely. We have to be able to communicate. I tell people as I go around and talk all the time, if you cannot stand up in front of people and tell them what you want, then you can't be a leader because that is what leaders do. I don't know how many times, and I'm sure you've done it, and I'm sure anybody who's honest who's a leader, you, you give somebody a mission, a task, a job, and you give them the resources and everything, and you walk away, and three weeks later, they bring it back to you and say, here you go, boss, and you look at it and you say, it's not what I asked for. True. And you know what? It is what you asked for. It isn't what you wanted, but it's what you asked for. I bet you almost every time. So you got to. We got to learn to communicate better. I mean, that's just it. I, mean, I don't care how good you are at it. You can always get better. And and we got it. Communication is key. Number two is that you have to uh, set the example. 
every single day in everything you do. You do not get to take a vacation from being the leader. Every day, people are going to watch you. And if you don't think they're watching you, then again, you're pretty naive because they are they're watching everything you do. And the third thing that I always tell people that is the most important. So communication, lead by example, and be decisive, be in charge. I, nothing makes you have less faith in an organization or a leader if they can't make choices, if they can't make decisions. And if when I go around, and I, somebody, I see somebody do that and I say, so why didn't you make that decision? The answer I almost always get is I didn't have all the right, I didn't have all the information I needed. Again, that's fantasy land. That place doesn't exist. You're never going to have all the information that you want. You got to take the information you got, make some good guesses about the information you don't have, and then start down that road. But you got to make decisions. So communications, um, set the example and make decisions. Those are the three things that leaders must do. If you don't, then you've lost all trust and confidence of the people who you're leading. We could, we, I could spend more time talking to you. <laughs> I think I, it's just amazing, you know, um, and I hope that, you know, I've got the chance and the honor again to meet you in person. Um, so oh, I would love that. I would love that. And and if you ever, you know, a year from now, you want me back on the show, all you got to do is ask, man. I love it. I, you know, I, I always tell people who are hosts of shows like this, because I've been on about 40, I don't know, 40, 45 shows. I, I don't host one myself. I'm, I don't know that that's ever going to be in my cards. But I always tell people, I know when I enjoyed it, when I look, when it comes to the end, I'm like, it, it's over already? It's been an hour? I mean, that's, that's pretty amazing. Um, and, and that's the way it is with this. I mean, I, I've really enjoyed it, and I would love to to continue conversation anytime, great, anywhere. Great, great honor. Um, I mean, really, really great honor. Thank you so much for what you do in your service as well in the Army as in, as in, this, in, in civil society. Really appreciate your time. Looking forward to more discussions. I promise to finish reading the book, and that might be a follow-up session, actually, because it's quite really interesting to bring all of these thoughts. And as, as I said, again, highly recommend is available in Amazon. You could download it and as well as in your website. I'll share all of the details in the description and the comments below. So yeah, well, thanks, Ben. Yeah, absolute pleasure. And um, yeah, I'll uh, definitely talk to you soon again. Okay. Have, have a good day. Have a good day. Thank you.